Okay, so Brian has officially shed his tie to, yes. to match me. I appreciate that. I think either I needed to dress up or he needed to dress down. Well, dude, thanks for uh, joining me. Uh, thanks for having me. Are you kidding? As soon as you asked, I couldn't wait. How many hours have you gone today? Um, been on the air for six. But I'm, before I start, uh, I'm up at 2.30. They were kind enough to send a car in the morning, in by 3. Get the get here at 3.55, but those two hours, that hour, be, those hours leading up to the show are the most vital. So from the minute I get in the car till I get here, nonstop studying. And I still don't feel like I have enough time. Still studying and picking out new stuff while the show is going on because so much is developing, especially we got really two, two wars going on. You got a political situation that is always changing and you have a former president locked up in four separate trials. So there's always something with it. You can't just say, well, don't worry about that. It's not going to come up. It's going to come up. You know, this happens to every generation, but you know, the, the Viet or I would say the world war two generation probably saw the lunacy during the Vietnam war and said, this country's going to hell. Right. Did you ever think we'd end up here? I don't know if you, if you break it down, you know, in the 90s, they thought Russia was done. That's the biggest surprise. But turmoil in the Middle East, not a surprise. You actually fight these wars. I'm able to try to disseminate what's happening, where we're going. But it doesn't surprise me in the Middle East. What surprised everybody is the wall came down and we no longer in a Cold War. I remember being in college trying to negotiate. Our final was negotiating a SALT agreement on the Persians. And, and it was impossible. If you really did this legitimately, we had a Soviet... Uh, advisor and we had an American advisor and they, they tried to bring it to a higher level. And all of a sudden I'm done. And the next year I'm watching that wall come down. I go, no one predicted this. So then we thought we were going to be an era of peace with sending over free market guys, tell people how to set up loans and guys welcome to the marketing economy. And Yeltsin was a drunk and Putin takes over and it all goes to hell. But I think we're recognizing some patterns. I mean, to me, the Ukraine situation has got to be met and it's got to be addressed. People will say our border's a problem or our debt deficit's too high. Let's ignore Ukraine, I think, is the most insane thing. And it's come a lot from Republicans. And I think the way we do it is one thing. And auditing, great. Find out about the audit. Find out what they're using. Make sure there's, there's as little corruption as possible. But my goodness, the Russians are the problem. It's not the Ukrainians. It's prioritization. Clear as day. What's the top priority? Give that the most resources. And, and we will always have multiple things on the table. But so six hours a day, do I do a three minute hit with you guys? I've got to go lay down for three hours. <laughs> you do not. I, I'm not kidding you. Uh, it takes it out of me. Didn't you One. just set an endurance record? <laughs> Physical? Uh, it was a, hey, we didn't set it well. We just did what nobody else had done at this point. We could have done it much better. Um, so your schedule. How do you maintain this life? I mean, do you have do you even have time for your family? Oh yeah. Um, I mean, what I did is I put in six hours before they wake up, and that didn't even work when they were younger, because uh, when they were, I was able to pick them up from school, and you could always do that. You get out at twelve. You could either hop on a I hop on a train home all the time because it's quicker going to Long Island, but I could be there and I could coach. The nine to fivers are the one that couldn't coach. Those are the nine to fivers are the one that, that had problem missing games during the week. I never missed a parent teacher conference. What I have is no hobbies and I don't miss them. Like I don't need to golf. I like having a few beers with the guys going out, uh, going out with my wife and going out with couples. That's enough. I don't need, I don't need to play tennis tournaments or 
uh, soccer games. I feel that that's, I just try to work out as much as possible, not like you, but all, but almost every day do something. But besides that, I think there's a window of opportunity, Mike. The one thing in our business, and in, in my business in particular, you have so many talented people who don't have opportunity. Mm. And all of a sudden, I come into Fox, and it was just TV, and then they open up radio, and they open up podcasting, and they're opening up the you know foxnews.com. Digital is now huge. Then they have a business channel, and they got OutKick, and they, Weather, and they say, Brian, can you help out here? Can you help out there? Why would you not say yes? Because number one, I enjoy it. Number two is it's nice to be asked. And the alternative is to be in the prime of your life, have so much to offer, and no one caring. So you watch the uh, the Walter Cronkites that went late into their years. Is there any signs of you slowing down? Are you as still as hungry as you were in your early days of broadcasting in L.A.? Or uh, there's no there's no question. I'm I'm actually more into it now. And the thing is, with this management team at Fox, their philosophy is if you can help, you help. And that's why it's not odd to see Sandra Smith on at nine o'clock at night and nine o'clock in the morning at the same time she's doing a show at one. And then you, you know, have it to you know, Fox and Friends weekend. We have no one to fill in. Brian, can you go do it? Yeah, sure. I'll do four hours on the live television talking to the most important people on the planet. Really? You pay me for that? So as long as, as, long as people feel as though uh, I haven't lost the fastball and I can contribute, I want to do it. And I also want to get better. I think there's, I think I'm also at the point where you're still getting better. There's still opportunities. There's still stuff to learn. There's still stuff to learn. Um, then we're in a brand new fight and then we're learning this whole bunch of Israeli experts and IDF experts and then get them in. Then we're getting the Hamas documentarians in and talk about that mindset there. And, oh, what is the Palestinian, why the Palestinians aren't speaking up? Talk to four or five experts there. I find that endlessly intriguing. So if I was a carpenter, this is what I'd be doing in my free time. So my, my hobby is my job. So many few people have found that. We know oh, yeah. the rise in mental health, people are just, they're unhappy. But, you know, also talking about routines, Fox and Friends has been a routine in so many people's lives. I mean, yeah. I wake up to it. It's the first thing that, that goes on. I know my dad watches it like a hawk. Yeah. I mean, does that, does that ever hit you that millions tune in to the number one talk show in, in America? Oh, and yeah. They are looking at you to, to start their mornings off. It's great, Mike. And the thing is, in New York, um, they're indifferent. About it, Long Island's different than New York City. But when you go to travel, you know, I'm going to Fairhope, Alabama. You go there and you see how much Fox means. And then you go to Ponte Vedra, Florida, you see how much Fox means. And then even when people, you go to do the DNC, uh, the Democratic National Convention, you see that they know we matter. So you see people are intrigued. But like when you travel, I always say that like in management, sometimes I don't realize they do in, with the numbers and the pie charts. But when you actually travel and go to Ohio mm -hmm. and you go travel mm -hmm. to Montana, that's when you see the appreciation. People don't say, I really like you a lot. They say, thank you. And now I get it because we don't think men should be playing in women's sports. We don't think it's a great idea to tear statues down of Andrew Jackson. We don't hate our country. We never knew, thought we were perfect. But we like feeling that we're special, that's a problem. Some of the stuff that we're dealing with now is insane. And just by being sane, you stand out. Just like the kid, the good kid in class that doesn't act like a lunatic mm. uh, gets way too much credit. It's because the people around him have lost their minds. Yes. 
And that's what I think. I feel like we're de dealing with issues. Like when you look at um, stem cell research, you have Nancy Reagan. She's for it because of Alzheimer's. Then you have George W. Bush. I can't do it. I'm, I'm pro-life. That's an interesting debate by smart people that are going to go deep. But some of the debates we're having now are in are just, I go, what planet are we on? Really? You blame the Jewish people for what just happened on, on October 7th? You are marching in the streets for Palestine when you can't find it on a map or where you think it should be? Or what Hamas stands for and you're gay? They throw you off a building yeah. if they saw you. So where do I start with people like that? You have a, a huge responsibility. One, there's an abundance of information, very little wisdom or logic. And I think people just grab on to what is politically cool at the moment. And right. Palestine is, is that one thing. And they're speaking outside of a breadth of knowledge that they don't have in that region, which is generations of hate in, in history. Take some nuance. You know, you have to read. You have to take, sit, take a second. Yes. And people just won't take the time to educate themselves or, or to read about you know, Israel and the history of post-World uh, War II yeah. and the UN declaring, you know, Israel a, a separate entity and state. Uh, but I know that's a, uh, a separate topic. I do want to know, uh, given all that you do, again, Fox and Friends, Fox Radio, you also have a show on Fox Nation. And then uh, no, I have show. a, no, Saturday at, Saturday at nine, uh, One Nation. One Nation. And I was doing a series on uh, Fox Nation called What Made America Great. Did 52 of those episodes. Oh. And for this book, we do an hour. They were kind enough to let me do an hour special. Worked on it for a year uh, with uh, Carrie Flatley and Monica and John Case and Rob Monaco. we just been working on this thing, doing shoots around the country. And I find that the most fascinating because you're walking through time. This is where Washington was. This is where Jackson ate dinner. This is where Booker T. Washington called home. This is Teddy Roosevelt, exactly like he left it. The man of men. Right. The man of men. Right. Yeah. Who started off 80 pounds, suffering from mm -hmm. asthma, couldn't put weight on. They thought he wasn't going to survive childhood. So you overcompensate from what you have to overcome. And he did, man. He didn't have, he didn't have one day when he wasn't active. And he wasn't looking at, you know, there was no fitness TV. He was figuring it out. His dad saw how passionate he was. He got him some weights. And he became this rigorous guy. But for people to say, well, he was born that way. Not really. No. Couldn't leave the house. In, into wealth. Yeah. Uh, but so there should be a picture of Teddy Roosevelt for all young men in every school saying, be like Teddy. Absolutely. I've always said it. I've said that on my podcast, be like Teddy. He, I'm a Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, Not the biggest guy, right? 5'8", no. probably 185, 190. Maybe started off when he was college, 130, 120. And this grew into a man because he never stopped challenging himself but like you very personable you draw people in and oh, now i get to watch fox and friends and be like yeah i know brian kill me my uh, wife's tired of hearing of it so um your endurance do you credit that to playing soccer even in college is that where you learn to get up early and just go 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 um i never had great speed but i could always run a long time i always had good i always had a good engine but i never had great speed but I could always, I mean, I remember just being able to, we did this thing in soccer called, I feel crazy talking about you about fitness, but um, in soccer, they say, how many laps can you do in 12 minutes? Around the goalposts, or is it track? Um, so you have 12 minutes, no, no, excuse me. You got to get to two miles in two under miles. 12 minutes. That's and, fast. And in college, I the only person who would beat me that in college, and I was probably the, the one of the slowest guys on the team, 
is one track guy who was on a full ride of scholarship. I could do it in 11.30, 11.20. one run one marathon, 3.43, but I never had run more than 10 before. But I'm not a great athlete. I'm a below-average athlete, but I feel I can grind. Awesome. I like to grind yeah. the best I can. I feel like if you can – if there's no substitute for hustle. That's a choice. And I just always thought, knowing, you know, they could bench you. Uh, they could not start you. But they can't stop you. I'm going to find another team. I'm going to find another organization that will put me on. And no one can stop you from working hard. And that's the one thing that I try to instill. But I never was the most talented, never uh, never the most gifted. But I just get, I would give myself an A for effort. And I was happy with that. When people you thought it was an insult, I'm like, I'm not really insulted because I gave it my all. Grit hustle always overcomes talent any day of the week. Right. Um, I still I, was benched in a lot. Uh, midfielder? Midfielder, played outside back for two years and then played midfielder most of the time. Beautiful. Did, did you play soccer? Is you, I loved soccer as a kid. Uh, I was just really bad. But I love the fact of just, same like you, just running up and, down the, up and down the field. That's why I don't like golf, but I'll take tennis because tennis, at least you can hustle, right? We, you know, you can overcome some. I'm not saying uh, cat-like. You know, I'm not saying... You know, you're going to be like a Muggsy Bogues and like a point guard. But at least you're like, oh, all right, I'm going to get to that. But in, in golf, you're like, what did I just do? You know, like, how, what did I do wrong? Everything. And then you got to wait to get to that ball again. And you get and you say, I don't know, pool and golf, not my games. My dad has dedicated his, uh, his pretty much outside time of business to golf. He's a golf he's, fanatic. He's got to he be good. He's good. He said, you got to learn uh, golf. It's the uh, language of business. I said, hey, that, I guess that's a language I'm never going to uh, learn because right. I, I don't have the time. I'm but he's right, that. though. It is. I know. Um, you're 58, right? 59. 59. Yeah. You look great. In terms of daily habits, what are you doing for your workouts? I'm sure your diet is dialed in. Um, I, I mean, my diet is pretty good. I, I have not cut off uh, alcohol. I'll drink. I'll have three or four of them. But not in excess. A week. No, I won't drink during the week at all, but I'll go out four or five beers. Mm -hmm. um, don't drink hard liquor at all, ever, because I don't want to get drunk. Uh, I just like having a few beers. That's probably negative. Um, I have an interesting diet because my one thing that hurts me from burning is sleep. Mm -hmm. They say if you want to really burn weight, you got to sleep, and I sleep four hours. You're averaging four hours. Four hours and 15 minutes, maybe. Do you ever take a, a one-week hiatus? Uh, one, yeah, I mean, we I took uh, I took ten days off. We went to uh, Europe this summer, first time since before the pandemic. Good for you. So yeah, but I definitely think that my body would benefit from sleeping more. So what I'll do is I'll hop on the elliptical for thirty minutes, mm -hmm. or hop on the bike for thirty minutes. Then I will try to do four uh, four exercises of body part. So and try to do them now in tandem, together. You know, so I'll just do it. I'm not trying to max out. I'm just trying to use every part of my body, um, and including the legs would be for elliptical or running long distance. Now I got to start getting into legs a little bit because I'm seeing how tight my hips are getting. Mm, Sit too yes. much, you get hamstring issues. But I try to do something. So I'm in there for 50 minutes. So uh, five times a week, six times a week. Pretty, pretty relentless that you won't skip a workout? or do you? Pretty, I, try, you pretty... I try never to. Like with this book tour, there's going to be times where I'm going to have to skip. But what I'll do is... I could always do that thing about getting up early and beating everyone up. Like no one's doing a book signing at seven in the morning. So you could get that done. So the fact that you manage all this and you have time to write a book, which is your, correct me, seventh book? 
Um, yes, seventh book. I did two sports books. It's how you play the game, and the games do count. Several New York Times bestsellers. Right. That's I'm I'm blown away. You make me feel like an incomplete man. Like but, I'm not doing but, enough. But that that is scarily inaccurate. But the thing is, I know it. No matter what I write, the thing is, I have a platform to talk about it. If I didn't have the platform to tell people, I would not have the sales I have. And Fox gives me that. But I try to do with something that fits in. And there is a war on history right now. So now instead mm -hmm. of saying, well, Brian's got this hobby of history, I actually feel like I'm in the middle of things. When people start talking about race and the women's national soccer team has taken a knee and Colin Kaepernick has taken a knee talking about uh, how racist America is, compare it to the rest of the world and compare it to how far we've come and what a discredit it is for Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln and Ulysses S. Grant and Booker T. Washington and uh, Teddy Roosevelt. These were men of their times. They say, so they say some things that would go, you know, that shows that they had some blind spots, but they were people of their times. I mean, if I look back to some of the things that we thought in grammar school and high school, we'd go, wow, what were you guys thinking? 2008, if you went up to Barack Obama and say, is, is marriage between a man and a woman? He said, yeah. 2012, he's like, same-sex marriage is it. So is, now America's there. Was he a terrible person in 2008? Was he a real wise person in 2012? Do we condemn people? Well, all of a sudden, we used to just study people. Now we're condemning them, taking down their statues, taking their names off. So when I do these books, I no longer feel like, wow, Brian has a passion. Let him talk about it because he's on the channel. I actually feel like I'm contributing to the narrative and helping people understand the perspective on race relations in America and what they thought and what they put up with and the pride they had. It seems like everyone wants to bring down a, uh, a great man or a great woman. If you dig deep enough into anyone, you will find those blind spots. You will find those weaknesses. You will find those flaws. Everyone. And I, I, I'm sure you get your share of criticism from people, mostly from the left, when you're speaking with such logic eloquently. And the fact that, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this, I'll give you praise. Fox in general, but you, every time I come here, I'm like, hey, where's Brian Kilmeade? Because you, you oh, have a thanks, smile, Mike. you welcome people. It's always, it's always fun to come visit Fox. Well, the one thing, that, the best thing about being here was the exposure to the military. Oh, and to see you guys in action and to see when you come back and you go back and forth and the stories you give and how um, unassuming everybody is and appreciation for what you do. I believe, and I say this all the time, people look at Afghanistan and Iraq, oh, we didn't do it. We did great. It's politicians screwed up the yeah. ending. But would you guys be able to adapt to, in the middle of two wars, they said it was impossible, the skills in which you had, the weapons in which you used, well, how you adapted and how you learned from it in real time? I mean, you look back at the surge, you look at about Afghanistan, you realize for 20 years, you let people know, I have no interest in your natural resources, no interest mm. in dominating you. I just want to give you the opportunity to fulfill whatever destiny it is. They're done. I mean, those people looked at you guys for 20 years and said, uh, America, actually, all they did was give. We tried to show you the way. And many people did. They changed their lives forever. But then when we left without taking anything, we actually went into the face of everybody that said that America's here to be imperialistic and for their own self-services to get a vassal state. It is just the opposite. They should have learned that from World War II, but they learned that from this generation. Think about how many people you trained. The, Think about I, I get to the tell values you, one, you relayed. We, we tried. You can lead a horse to water. Can't force it exactly. to drink. But you can definitely put it down. Uh, you can definitely the, put it down, yeah. You know, the uh, 
you talk, you talk about the military, man, and you guys are staunch advocates of the military, and you're trying to tell the stories that need to be told, uh, not not what's coming out of the Pentagon, which usually comes from civilian political appointees. That's the nonsense going on in DOD. Uh, but, bro, I was taken away by watching the man and woman to my left and right, and they were amazing. And oh, yeah. I, I was on the bench most of the time. When I got in, I tried to give, but, dude, the, the caliber of today's service member is amazing. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story, and then I want to get to the book. I went to the SEACs, uh, the Senior Enlisted Advisor to the Chairman. His name is uh, Ramon Colon Lopez. We call him CZ for short. Was at his retirement on Friday. He's given his final speech, 33-plus years of service, most senior enlisted man in the, uh, the military. A Marine, eighth and I, holding the Marine flag, as they say, falls out, faints, goes face down, does not hesitate, runs from the podium, says, I got you, brother, helps him up, Gets some medical attention, goes right back to the podium, finishes his speech. Perfect. I wish America could have seen right. that. Never it stops. Never stops. So, you know, one, I found this so interesting is you went so granular. And it, it seems like the center of gravity is, is around this dinner between Booker T. Washington. That's what everyone Teddy knows Roosevelt. it for. Yes. That was the most public, publicized event because uh, Teddy got a lot of criticism from the South. Right. I mean, his relationship was you just brought it up. Frederick, Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln, very similar in the relationships. What was it about this relationship that said, I want to write a book about this? Well, a couple of things. I wanted to move up in time. And they were both, and I, I read, before I read Frederick Douglass's book, I read Up From Slavery by Booker T. Washington. And then I said, why don't I just take my time? Why don't I do Frederick Douglass and Lincoln and then get back to it? But the guy, a nine years old, born a slave, never had shoes, never had pants, just wore like a long dress shirt had the same thing every single day, never knew his father slept on dirt floors, and he became one of the most influential people in the world, let alone this country, we still talk about today. That's a story worth remembering that nobody fully knows that's getting a lot of crap now in the black community in some circles because he was somebody that uh, tried to make things better the way they were. He wouldn't be Al Sharpton or Malcolm X. He'd be more Martin Luther King, Frederick Douglass. I'm going to take action. I'm going to deal with the life the way it is. I'm not going to pretend it's not, and I'm going to make it better for not me, for everyone around me. So when I, you read, and by the way, they wrote a lot, both of them, and their, their stories are on, they, they keep talking about each other. And I go, wait a second, I got a president, and I got a, I got a, a, a civil rights leader who's really all about education. I had to go back and look at pictures of the people that Booker T. Washington was talking about, because he never said white General Armstrong. He never said Mrs. Ruffner, the white woman. He never discussed white or black. He just is, grew up, didn't want to get into salt mines, died for education. The first numbers he remembers seeing in retrospect was one in eight. Why? Because that was the sack that he had to fill up of salt that him and his mm. brother and his stepfather had to fill up every day. And he's like, what is this number? He finally realized those are called numbers and that your number is 18. That's how he remembers educating. He's 10 years old. So he's claustrophobic. So the other thing, Mike, you can truly appreciate is I'm all, I love the self-help books like Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich yes. and, and Norman Vincent Peale, The Power of Positive Thinking, and then Anthony Robbins, much more practical with personal power. This guy was doing it before anyone. He is imaging sitting in a classroom. He's thirsting to get in a classroom. How can he do it? How many times in life when you, you want something to happen, you will it to happen, then something happens by coincidence. He overhears his two friends talking about how mean this woman is. I don't want to stay in her house. I got to get another job. I got to tell my, I got to tell my mom I'm quitting this. He's like, what are you talking about? 
uh, this is Miss Ruffner. She's Viola Ruffner. She's a nightmare. Nothing I do is ever good enough, and I'm, I'm quitting. She goes, I need to get out of salt mines. Goes and meets with her. You realize quickly, she just wants things done right. She gets permission to try it and go to school at night, and all he does is learn how to clean. He learns how to hold himself. He gets rid of the town, country accent. She learns how to, he learns hygiene. Doesn't know hygiene. He learns how to hold it. The more he learns, he goes, whatever I gave him, he wanted more. And she goes, what do you want? He goes, I need to learn to read. Next thing you know, she's working with him. Instead of just taking care of the house, like uh, someone, a housekeeper, she's there working together. Lays the foundation because in his mind, he made that happen. I believe that he made, he overheard that because he, he sent out things into the atmosphere that something's going to happen. And then the other thing, he started dreaming of going to college. You got to go to college. Then he hears two men talking, man, I wish I could get myself to Hampton College. If I get there, I hear they accept you. So where's Hampton College? It's in Virginia, straight ahead. I'm going to Hampton College, 400 miles. No, no Uber app. He had to hop on a wagon by foot, runs out of money, finds a way to work the, the docks, gets some money, sleeps in between the cracks of the sidewalks. <laughs> but why did he get that opportunity with Hampton College? He had to have it happen. If you want to manifest something, it doesn't happen all the time. But he goes and sees it. And think about this. And I had to close the book because it was so eerie. She finally says, she came back three times. She's like, you're a mess. I can't accept you. I got to have people with promise. He's like, goes back, cleans himself up, works a little, comes back again. Finally, the third time he goes, well, what can you do? And she goes, well, I need these rooms cleaned. She goes, you need your rooms cleaned? Guess who knows how to clean a room? Cleans it. Can't believe it. He goes, who helped you? Because I'm going to watch you clean another room. Watch it. Then they clean the whole school. He goes, you're hired as a janitor. You go to school at night. He ends up being the best student, the best teacher. And then when this, out of a, uh, to deliver the black vote in Alabama, these two, former slave and former master, end up forming a partnership and says, yeah, I'll help you get the black vote, but I need to form a college here. Mm. And then they lean back to Hampton to get someone yes. to recommend at 24 years old. He's Booker T. Wise. He goes, no, I want a white guy. He goes, no, you want this guy. This guy holds General best, Armstrong. Best person out. for the job. He goes out. He seems a shack, a shed with a leaky roof. He's got one week to get students, and where he loses, they lose the money, he loses salary. He's got nothing. Gets 35 students, ends up with 1,500. By the time he meets Teddy Roosevelt and he speaks at the commencement, there's more people at Tuskegee University than there is at Harvard. So don't tell me that life stack against you and you can't do it. I know we all can't be Booker T. Washington, but the vision never talked about him being famous. He wanted to educate the masses. And what he also said, Mike, and I wish... I had this in my education. He said, you're going to learn the books, but you got to learn to trade because mm. white people aren't ready to hire you yet, so you got to be invaluable. So if you're not in agriculture, in construction, or you're an architect, whatever skill it was, a seamstress for women, women were teaching in the school. So what he was doing is transforming a society and transforming perception. So you grow up and you hear blacks aren't as good as whites. You hear that your whole life and generations before. All of a sudden, you're like, uh, mom, dad. Look at the way these kids hire themselves. I don't care about the color of their skin. Look at how nice they are. Look at how much they're adding to society. So whatever your parents told you or stereotypes you may have had, you are blowing them up, not by yelling at them, not by having a rally, not by burning down their house, but by showing them. But he had to look past lynchings. He had to look past the Jim Crow laws. He, was, he knew it was terrible. And he said, well, how do I survive in the South this way? And a lot of times people say, you should have been more outspoken. He goes, no, I have to keep this thing going. And the last thing I need is this thing burned to the ground. I don't need protests around here. I don't need white people looking at it as a threat. Because long term, we're going to change everything. 
And white people, those horrible white people like Andrew Carnegie and J.P. Morgan and Rosenwald, how do I help? How do I help this guy, Booker T. Washington? He was walking around, getting doors slammed in his face, talking about his school. And little by little, the money started pouring in. He said, don't pay me, pay the school. Mm. And Andrew Carnegie says, you got to take a vacation. You never take a vacation. I want to pay you to stop working. He said, if you give me any money, it goes to the school. So don't give me money, you know, whatever. So he did take a vacation, finally at the urging of all these people. And he goes to Europe and he finds out people in Europe know him. And he's able to give speeches and earn money that way. Could have stayed there, lived a great life, stayed in New York, lived a great life, loved it in Boston, back to the South. And he needed a partner in Teddy Roosevelt. And Teddy Roosevelt said, I need to understand about the South. I got to bring this country together. His mom was, his mom was from the South. His brothers fought in the Confederacy. So she, he had a Northern dad and a Southern mom. So he understood it, but he didn't really understand what they need. And Booker T. Washington, when he read, when Teddy read up from slavery, I got to meet this guy. And in April, I think it's April of 1901, they met in New York City. They go, listen, vice president now, I really want to be president. I want you to help me. Can I come? He goes, why don't you come visit? He goes, great. And McKinley gets shot. He dies a week or two later. And he goes, writes a long letter. Sorry, I can't come see you. I'm president now. So can you imagine writing a letter saying, sorry, I'm president. I can't make this happen. And then they ended up being an advisor, recommending him on certain things. Give me the best person, not the appointees. Uh, yeah, appointees. They end up working together. He ends up serving on Tuskegee's board. And then one day he just says, hey, I hear you're in town. Booker, why don't you come for dinner with my family? America wasn't ready for it at the time. Word gets out. Ends up being this big scandal. How can you equalize the races by bringing a black man to eat with your family? Shows you where we were in America. And to the point where Teddy was advised, even by Mark Twain, don't have Booker T. Washington over for dinner. Right. Yeah. So, so Mark Twain was a critic of Teddy. He just went, you know, there were people in life, not with you, Mike, but I know with me, no matter what you do, you're not going to impress him. Mark no. Twain was not impressed with Teddy Roosevelt. Mm. I thought he was all show. Love Booker T. Washington. And after they, after they had the dinner, he went up to Mark Twain and he said, uh, no, you know what happened. What do you think? Did I make a mistake? He goes, the way you went about it, I think you, you could have done it. I understand what you tried to do, but the way you went about it, it hurt your costs. And what he did is, we're going to meet. It's going to be at 4.30 or 11.30. And we're going to advise each other. Let's just bring it down a little. Because they were stunned. They were stunned. Both of them were stunned by the headlines. And what does Booker T. care more about? Tuskegee. And this hurts Tuskegee. He's like, I don't need racist yes. Southerners. Uh, not all were racist. I know you're listening to me in Georgia, and, and that might be your family. But back then, you were person. The people were person of their times. But they didn't want people looking at us as the enemy. I'm on the I'm on the right side of things. And he had to be a little bit smarter about it. But when the president of the United States says, "Come over for dinner," are you really supposed to say no? And that's what he wrote about in the larger education. He's like, let me just tell you what happened with that dinner. I got a letter. I came over. I had a sense it might be a problem. I didn't think it would be. One guy looked at the guest book, and he blew it up. Mm. Do you consider that a more morally courageous or courageous uh, act by Teddy, knowing of the implications of that dinner? I don't think he knew the implications, but I think that he still stood by it, and he never talked about it after that. Then later, sometimes he tried to soft pedal it a little bit, but because he was up for re-election, he was up for re-election, and he hurt both of them. Uh, in that. And they, sometimes you do. Sometimes by doing the right thing, you could hurt your cause because mm. you're playing a lot. They were all about playing the long game. What I didn't know is I've talked to their ancestors. Go to Tuskegee. It's really a moving thing. You could, you could, these buildings, the place is immaculate too. So when I, when I went there and talking to them, they give me information and tweet back this up. Teddy was going to run again. 
So Teddy, at 59 years old, lost because he split the ticket with Taft and uh, Woodrow Wilson, who was a segregationist and racist, was pre- took great pride in, you know what? Making sure when he was at Princeton, no black people got in. Mm. Great pride. Nice Democrat. So he said uh, he was going to run again, and he healed it. He was healing his way with the Republican Party. They were going to let him back in. They were ready to go. And then he got sick, He never and he never recovered. He died. Both these guys did this at 60 and 59. Think about that. Was this topic timely with regards to what's going on in America? I mean, did you zero in with this, with the conversations of systemic racism and that, you know, opportunity is only for the advantaged? Yes. Reparations. Reparations. Insane. Right. Um, the Kaepernick thing never went away. We just had Megan Rapino retire and said, I have no regrets taking a knee representing the U.S., yeah. uh, you know, right in the United States of America. Guys. You have to understand, there's a reason why people want to come here. Not because we're perfect. What makes us great is we try to be. So we don't need to be shooting from inside the tent. We have enough enemies on the outside. We used to, we used to hear about, wow, Americans go to Europe and they act like they walk on water and they're too loud. Remember the good old days? America was too prideful. Now we walk around going, sorry, yeah, I, I apologize. Yeah, we won't be great for too much longer. Don't worry about it. Come on, start to get the swagger back, America. And to under, get the swagger back, you have to know how far we've come and how many great people brought us there. It's disrespectful for them uh, to see how hard they worked in times that were a lot tougher to think they're not going to appreciate. I know it's tough to appreciate things you have. I get it. But if you can, you can get a perspective by reading about history, and then you'll have more appreciation. you got to make the effort. History combined with world travel, which gives perspective. Absolutely. Which right. gives perspective, which I, I'm going to say probably 90 percent plus you've traveled Americans. a lot more places and seen a lot more bad I feel places. in third world countries war-torn countries but i feel blessed that i got to see that both cursed and blessed that i got to see a different perspective of how well we have it i think we've become way too comfortable here in america so my my last thought about that and i talk about this i i go on i'm, I'm lucky enough to go on stage because it's so hard to do stuff when we get to this because something like let's say Citibank says i want you to go speak to our convention yeah. Citibank goes belly up, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, who was this keynote speaker? So Fox, you make sure you, they always watch our back. So I said, what if we put together our own events? And I'm able to talk about all these books on the stage in a conversational way. So the one thing I always end with, if you're not happy with America, travel. And if you find someone better, stay. If not, come back and make the country better, but learn about where you came from. You'll have additional pride. I've yet to find that place. Right, I've yet to find that place. Either have I. I like to go, but I, I I like to go, but I like to leave. I just when we got born in America, we hit lotto, and every day we have a chance to compete in the Super Bowl. What you do with it is what you do with it. The G, yes, uh, you couldn't uh, say it better, uh, Brian. If there's a, a you know one point you want to reinforce for the men listening to this from this book, either Booker T. Washington or Teddy Roosevelt. What do you think is, is, is a good takeaway for men, whether it's being a statement, open yourself to dialogue with, with uh, you know, let's say differentiated views? Okay, here, here, here's, here's a couple of things. Tolerance, number one. Number two, don't judge. Don't hate. So if, if, I, if someone walks up to me and goes, you know, I watch you on Fox and I hate you, the best thing you could do for them is to hate them back. If you don't, because give, hating them back takes energy. And Booker T. Washington was able to go, okay, this guy doesn't like me because yes. I'm black. Next. The Joneses don't like me because I'm black, but the Johnsons do. I don't hate the Joneses. I'm going to go to the Johnsons. Hopefully they'll see us interact and change their mind. 
when you, uh, until Booker T. Washington wrote that and he said it much more eloquently, and I'll probably go back and use that because I'm going on stage Thursday. Um, he said, if you, when you give a person that compliment of hating them, they won. So he, this is great story. And I thought to myself, that sounds like an allegory. It probably didn't happen, but he repeated it. And he said, so he's waiting for a train, Booker T. Washington, and a man comes up to him and goes, white guy, he's in the South. And he says, he goes, Booker T. Washington, you are, you are the, one of the greatest men in America. He goes, if not the greatest. And he said, sir, thank you very much, but the greatest man is Teddy Roosevelt, our president. He said, I used to think so until he had you over for dinner. Think about, think about all the waves. And he said, and this is Booker T. Washington's words. He goes, then I realized I have to let sleeping dogs lie. Mm -hmm. I cannot change the way he thinks. He actually does not know what he, like, how, how off he is in his statement that you can't have both things. But he said, he repeated it to Teddy Roosevelt and they laughed about it. I mean, doesn't it say so much? Like, you can't stop thinking about that, like what it means. I'm going to give this guy a compliment and I'm going to insult him to the core. That it is a testament to emotional intelligence to yeah. move on where you're not going to win. Well, Brian, I can't thank you enough. Uh, guys, go check out the book. Releases on November 7th, right? Yeah, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, this will be, I know with podcasts, they are all Tuesday. the time. Yeah, yeah, release day. Yeah, and when sometimes you look at these things in retrospect. So it's out now. Uh, if you go to briankillme.com, all like your personalization and also where to see me, I go to the place where Fox lives. From Fairhope, Alabama to uh, Dayton, Ohio. So I'm out of here. Uh, I'm out of New York. I don't do signs in one on Long Island, but for the most part, I go the people that I go to the people that made us number one. Well, again, congrats on the success of the book. Congrats on on your entire career. Guys, I think the challenge for you is try to match Brian's schedule. Uh, if you do call me, I'm interested to find out. Just get that more out. sleep. Yeah, get more sleep. If you can manage four hours of sleep, which is what we managed in a war zone, and yeah. I was done after four months. You were? It's impressive. Yeah. It's impressive. Thanks for joining me, brother. Thank you. Thanks, Adam. Right. Appreciate it. All right, guys. This has been the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Sorelli, here with Brian Kilmeade. Until next time.